0: Hi, I'm Hannah Smay, host of the Wild Idaho podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the lands you love. Each month, the Wild Idaho podcast will explore a topic, current event, or issue related to Idaho's environment. Join us to learn about the work we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast. I'm Hannah May, your host, and I'm excited to bring you uh, today's episode. Earlier this year, we had a podcast episode with Mitch Cutter, who is ICL's Salmon and Steelhead Advocacy Fellow. And Mitch talked to us on this podcast about the connection of salmon and steelhead in Idaho and Idaho's energy future. And today we have another episode that dives into Idaho's energy future, recovering salmon and steelhead, and much, much more. So I'm excited to have Mitch Cutter, ICL's Salmon and Steelhead Advocacy Fellow, back on the podcast with me today, uh, along with my colleague, Laura Pinover, who is ICL's Communications and Engagement Assistant. And we're gonna have a conversation today all about Congressman Simpson's Northwest in Transition concept or proposal. That was released um, in in February about restoring Idaho salmon and steelhead and charting a new path for the future of the Pacific Northwest. Um, Hello, Mitch. Hello, Laura. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Hey, Hannah. Happy to be here.
1: Hey, Hannah. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you both for joining me today to talk about this really historic, critical, essential issue. And so, Mitch, can you Just give us the broad strokes. Can you tell us about Congressman Simpson's Northwest in Transition proposal and what it means, what it's all about, what's in the proposal?
1: Absolutely. So Congressman Mike Simpson is a Republican from Idaho's second congressional district. So that's eastern Idaho, um, encompassing much of the Boise area as well. And this proposal is really an infrastructure framework that he has put out to the region for comment and for feedback. Um, as a way to resolve some really long-standing issues here in the Northwest um, and long-standing conflicts between salmon steelhead uh, on one side and energy transportation and and other industrial interests on the other side. And so really sort of the, the main goal of this proposal is to restore salmon and steelhead, wild salmon and steelhead here to Idaho, to keep all the stakeholders who are invested in this river system whole and to make other communities throughout the region whole. And then finally to, as he says it, end the salmon wars, um, end this decades-long conflict between these interests uh, and move forward into uh, a sort of a, a new future for the Northwest. And so when we look at this proposal, really, it encompasses a lot of different things. So energy, transportation, transportation, River restoration, water quality, recreation, communities, and general fish and wildlife and cultural recovery are all part of this uh, this proposal.
0: Wow, Mitch, that is quite a lot, and it's very historic and honestly very exciting. Will you tell us, you know, what the biggest deal is? What is the most important aspect of this proposal?
1: Sure. So. ICL really supports this proposal because it touches on each and every one of our four major campaigns that we have going on right now. Um, ICL's goal is to restore abundant wild salmon and steelhead to Idaho so that they are both ecologically and economically significant. And this proposal gets at that by breaching four dams on the lower Snake River. And so that's a big deal to us. Um, And of course, what's also paired along with that is making sure that all of the affected communities and stakeholders are kept or made whole as a result of that action. And this proposal certainly does that as well. And through doing that, it really does step into our other campaigns too. Uh, public lands, uh, climate, fighting climate change and cleaning up the Mid Snake River are also all significantly impacted by this proposal. And so that's why ICL supports it. Certainly the most divisive issue has been that breaching of the lower Snake River dams. Um, Certainly, there's been a lot of, of discussion about that across the region lately. Um, but I think that really, when you look at the actual hard numbers of what's most important in this proposal, uh, it, it is the energy part. The, the breaching itself is only about 4% of the total cost of the package, but energy makes up almost half of it. And the focus of that energy investment is to replace the services of those four lower Snake River dams so that the energy systems of the Northwest are continuing to operate, uh, uh, reliably and affordably for the customers who depend on them, so that energy, so that electricity continues to flow to millions of households all across Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and further. Um, and this package really, this proposal really does that by investing $16 billion worth of, of funds into the energy system. Um, most of that is for new generation. So new electric generation that would be, uh, Carbon-free is one thing that the proposal says it has to be, and also um, built somewhere here in the Northwest. So wind and solar have both been mentioned as potential options for this generation. Batteries could be paired with those systems. And then there's some other ideas out there as well, like pumped storage hydropower um, as another potential source of this power. So that's most of that $16 billion. But then there's some further investment that's also put into the transmission system. So how this power actually moves around the region. And I think that we've seen over the last year in both Texas and in California that transmission is important and the ability to move power from one place to another with flexibility is important. And so this sort of investment is big for the Northwest grid to make us more resilient to the effects of climate change and to the kinds of weather events that we can expect in the future.
0: So Mitch, at the beginning you talked about how Congressman Simpson's Northwest in Transition proposal seeks to make all communities whole, right? And so you just explained to us how this proposal includes all of these energy replacement investments in order to keep and make the Northwest's energy system whole for all of our customers and all of our cities and towns that require, and industries that need electricity, But what other parts of this proposal are designed to keep communities whole that might be impacted by, say, breaching the lower Forest Snake River dams? And how does this proposal specifically address that and uh, take care of those communities, those industries?
1: Yeah. So, so... I think that one of the biggest sources of resistance to this dam breaching concept over the last years and decades has been from the agricultural community. And that's the ag community from Western Idaho, kind of in and around the town of Lewiston and Grangeville, and also in Southeast Washington, sort of around this lower Snake River corridor where these dams exist. And these producers and the shippers that handle their products use this lower snake river corridor, the waterway, a navigational waterway to barge things up and down the river. Um, And largely that's grain wheat uh, moving out of the port of Lewiston and other port facilities in that area and taking it all the way down to the port of Portland and other Pacific coastal ports so that it can be exported. And what these producers really fear is that by breaching these dams, um, that there won't be another way for them to move their commodities from the fields actually to market. Uh, And the proposal gets at this issue in a couple of ways. Um, The main thing is that when these dams are breached, uh, the barge system is no longer accessible. And so the proposal is straight up in saying that there will need to be a shift and a reconfiguration away from the barge system and towards a combination of rail transportation and road transportation or trucks. And the proposal invests a lot of money, more than, three, more than $3 billion into that shift, and that is building out new rail capacity by adding new track and purchasing new cars. That is uh, adjusting some of the facilities both for grain storage and for grain loading so that they can function in a rail and road system rather than a barge system. Um, if you think about it, most of the ports that are currently along the Lower Snake River are sort of pointed towards the river to load barges. And this would be as simple as pointing them towards the railroad tracks, which also generally flow right through those port facilities as well. And so there's more than $3 billion to accomplish that on an infrastructure level. And the goal of all of that would be that all of the grain in this region that currently depends on the lower Snake River would be moved out by rail instead. And that could end up going directly to Portland or these Pacific ports by rail, so that these rail cars would end up in tri-cities and then maybe able to load their stuff onto a barge from there. Um, And so from an infrastructure perspective, that's how the proposal gets at this problem. The other problem that producers mention a lot is the idea of being captive shippers. And what that means is that once these barges are no longer available as a method of transportation, rail is really the only uh, economic way of transporting these commodities at that point. Um, road, trucking by, uh, Transporting by truck is just not economic. It's not even comparable to rail shipping rates generally. And so what these producers fear is that the railroads, once they have a monopoly on that situation, will... Uh, increase rates by quite a bit, up to 50% even, um, is sort of the worst case scenario for a lot of these producers. And so what Congressman Simpson has said in a pretty remarkable idea is rather than using some of these funds that are currently allocated towards infrastructure, let's invest them instead. And let's invest them into a fund that will continue to revolve and continue to provide an annuity every single year um, after these dams are breached so that there's a subsidy for some of this uh, for that increase in price on transportation. And what that looks like basically is that uh, somebody in Greensville might pay $1 per bushel to get their wheat from Grangeville out to the port of Portland. And in this worst case scenario, that might add 50 cents to the total of that for a total $1.50 of shipping cost. And what Congressman Simpson is saying is that under his idea, that fifty cents would would be made up in in a subsidy to the farmer, so that their shipping rate actually remains exactly the same, and they uh, get a better price on their wheat in the end.
0: Okay, so thank you for that deep dive into the agricultural transportation system, Mitch. I appreciate um, you know you going into detail on that. Um, you know, on our previous podcast about our salmon and steelhead work. We talked a lot about the Bonneville Power Administration and that they are a key player in administering the electricity that is currently generated by these four lower Snake River dams. And so I'm curious if you can share with our listeners how the Bonneville Power
1: Administration
0: would come out uh, or could come out of, uh, of Simpson's proposal.
1: From our perspective, we actually see it as a positive for BPA. Um, If you look at the status quo right now, BPA faces a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty about uh, a changing market around new renewables that are starting to be cheaper than the power that BPA currently generates and uncertainty around this fish and wildlife recovery issue. Um, There's a reason that BPA has been in several lawsuits over the years, um, all of which they have lost. And that has made a real impact on the power prices that they charge to their customers. And so that is a really uncertain situation. Um, The status quo is not stable. And so we really see this as bringing stability to that system and to that agency. And we really think that this proposal has the potential to actually reduce rates. Um, I think that a lot of people just look at dam breaching and just conclude that it's going to raise rates because there's raise power prices because there's less energy on the market, but that's not necessarily true. And there's a lot of things in this proposal that point exactly the opposite direction. And just to highlight a few of those, um, one of the main ones is that that fish and wildlife recovery program I was talking about that has been so uncertain and so unstable in terms of its cost for for decades would no longer be under uh, BPA's administration. It would move over to a new organization, uh, the Northwest State and Tribal Fish and Wildlife Council it's kind of a mouthful but it is also, you know, one of the first times that states and tribes would be have been considered co-equals in managing fish and wildlife and in managing their recovery and their restoration in the end. And because BPA would no longer be handling that responsibility, there's sort of a there's an upper limit on what they can actually put into that program. It's about 600 million dollars and that's already less than what BPA is paying right now. And when I say BPA is paying that money, I actually mean that rate payers all across the Northwest are paying those funds. They paid $17 billion into that fish and wildlife program for the last 30 years. Um, And so putting a cap on that, putting putting an upper limit on what they're actually spending on this is a way to start controlling rates for decades into the future. Just another couple of things. as I mentioned before, all of this new renewable generation, um, all of the capital costs of building these new facilities gets paid for by the federal government. Um, it's not debt that BPA has to incur. It's not something that will get paid for by ratepayers for the next 50 years. Um, it's something that the federal government will pay for. And then there's relatively low costs for actually operating those kinds of facilities. And so replacing hydropower, which tends to be more expensive than the operational costs of those renewables, um, with those kinds of new generation, could also be sort of uh, have the potential to reduce power prices as well. And then finally, BPA is in a bit of a debt crunch right now. Um, they owe money both to the federal government and also to um, some, other, some other both private and public borrowers here across the Northwest. Um, and what this proposal does is about double what the, the ceiling on what they can borrow from the federal government. Um, And that sort of gets them out of that jam and also helps reduce rates into the future. So we really see a a big source of of, uh, stability for BPA and a potential source of rate reduction for its customers.
0: Yeah, I want to dive a little bit more into this idea of stability and certainty, Mitch. And... I want to bring up that you know some conservation groups and others have opposed this proposal because of its some of its elements namely there are some there are moratoriums on litigation and can you talk a little bit more about those um, elements of this proposal and why Idaho Conservation League supports this proposal nonetheless?
1: Sure. So the first thing I'll say is that this is uh, a proposal from Congressman Simpson. This is not ICL's proposal, and this is uh, Congressman Simpson's first draft of, of this idea that he's sent out to the Northwest for this for the kind of commentary that many groups have, have provided. Um, and these litigation moratoria are sort of a way to give certainty to certain stakeholders on the other side of this issue um, or who are involved with the energy and agricultural interests that are inherently a part of, of this issue in the Northwest. And I think that the concern of many other conservation groups who have said that those moratoria are a problem for them is well-founded. I think that for a long time, this issue has been sort of dependent on victories in court for Uh, for conservation groups and for and sort of in favor of fish and in favor of federal agencies doing more to help fish. And so, you know, I understand that it's hard to imagine a world where those tools are no longer available to further progress this issue. Um, And this is Congressman Simpson's way of ending the salmon wars, as he calls it. And he sees the salmon wars as this cycle of litigation. Um, And so he's trying to put a stop to that. I think that it's disappointing to hear from some conservation groups that these kinds of moratoria are complete non-starters. Again, I think the concern is well-founded, and and we want those concerns to be heard by both the Simpson office and other elected leaders here in the Northwest. But I think that the way to voice those concerns is by engaging and by making this proposal better in the end. And I think that that's done by bringing in more elected leaders from the Northwest. I think we need a democratic perspective on this proposal. This is an East Idaho Republicans perspective on this issue, but his ideas are not the only ones that matter. And so we at ICL and other groups are certainly looking for the kind of perspective that a Democrat or another elected representative from the, from the region would bring to this issue. Um, And by doing that, improve this proposal into sort of a final shape and form that is acceptable to all stakeholders, including these very groups who are opposed to it because of these litigation moratoria. Um, I don't think that this proposal moves forward into legislation without that kind of buy-in from elected leaders across the region. And so um, I think that other groups should bring those perspectives and ask their elected representatives to bring those perspectives to this discussion to find something that works for everyone here in the Northwest.
0: Thank you, Mitch. Uh, That being said, I do want to hear, or I do want to mention that and, and acknowledge and make clear that though Simpson's perspective is from a Republican from Eastern Idaho, he has spent how many years? What is it? 300 plus meetings. Simpson has spent countless hours meeting with Groups and stakeholders around the Northwest to shape this proposal. And so he's met with conservation groups. He's met with folks from the industries that would be impacted by this proposal. He's met um, consistently and extensively with members and leadership of Northwest and Idaho tribes. And so this proposal reflects all of those meetings, all of those stakeholders perspectives. And now that the proposal is out there for the wider world and the wider community to to see is definitely um, time and appropriate for folks to engage with this proposal and shape it and make it better. So with that, I'm really excited to bring on Laura Pinover my colleague who is ICL's communications and engagement assistant um, to let us know how you um, listener can get involved, how you can take action, how you can help advance this proposal into legislation and um, help spread the word about this historic essential proposal and help us here at ICL and in the Pacific Northwest raise every voice for this issue. So Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for for being here. And what do you want to share with our listeners about how to get involved and take action? Yeah,
2: thanks so much, Hannah, for having me on here. Um, I kind of want to talk about a few ways that you all can get involved for shaping Idaho's future and the Northwest. So Like Hannah said, like your voice matters and we need everyone we can get to stand up to get involved for our future. Um, So you may be asking yourself, how can I get involved? How can I make my voice heard? And there are a multitude of ways that you can get involved and make a difference. For instance, you can send a text message to 52886. You can text FISH in all caps to take action today. And with doing this, you will receive a text message with a link that will allow you to email decision makers and tell them why you want to support, want them to support Representative Mike Simpson's proposal. This is a super easy way. It takes two minutes to fill out. Also, if you want to take an extra step, um, consider writing a letter to the editor of your local newspaper and submitting one. This is another test and true method for influencing elected officials by publishing your opinion in local papers. A lot of our decision-makers rely on local papers as a gauge for public opinion. And as an influential leader, your voice matters. Another step that you can take is by making personal phone calls to your decision-makers and stakeholders and by writing handwritten letters to Um, It means more to decision makers today when they receive handwritten notes or receive personal phone calls, and especially if it's coming from an individual or an individual Idahoan. And one other thing that I wanna say is, I don't want us to forget about uh, Representative Simpson. Um, We should be writing him thank you notes as well to encourage his bold actions to chart a path forward for Idaho and the region that takes into account the challenges facing Northwest communities the more we work with him you know the more all stakeholders are likely to join his efforts and bring about regional prosperity so another thing if you want to become more educated on the proposal you can head over to simpson's website and icl's northwest in transition landing page that's through our website
0: thank you laura for that uh, fantastic overview of ways that our listeners can get involved i'll also add that ICL has several recordings of webinars that we've done in the last couple weeks that dive more deeply into the energy issue, more deeply into the uh, water quality components of this proposal uh, along the mid-snake region. So head to our website and we'll put the um, all of the links where you can take action and where you can learn more in the description of this episode. I also wanna make clear that it's not just uh, people who live in Idaho who can take action. If you've ever seen a salmon in the wild, if you've ever visited Idaho and enjoyed our beautiful rivers, our incredible wildlife habitat, our mountains, our streams, our wilderness, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, and Want to ensure that you and your community has affordable and reliable power into the future? This proposal matters to you, and so you can take action. And we highly encourage you to take action and reach out to your decision makers, your local decision makers, um, your federal decision makers. Reach out to Mike Simpson. Reach out to Senators Crapo and Risch in Idaho. Reach out to Idaho's Governor Little, and then. Mitch, can you share with our listeners who may be listening from Oregon or Washington about their role?
1: Sure. So like I talked about a little bit ago, um, Congressman Simpson is really looking for support from other elected leaders here in the Northwest for his proposal. And there is a long journey between the proposal as it exists now and improving it into a final legislative language and, uh, and enacting it into law. And so we really want Oregon and Washington elected representatives to enter into this process and engage with Congressman Simpson's office to do that improvement and to develop this into that uh, into that solution. And so we're asking folks from across the region, especially in Oregon and Washington, to reach out to your elected representatives, uh, whether that's a, a senator like like Ron Wyden or Maria Cantwell or a representative like Peter DeFazio or, Del- or Derek Kilmer, to Uh, push them to engage with this idea because it's a good one. And because, like Hannah said, it pushes the entire Northwest forward um, into the future and into the middle of the 21st century.
0: Um, well, thank you so much for that, Mitch. Yeah. I think it's important to you listeners out there. If you have friends, family communities across the Northwest that you can share this podcast with them, um, and encourage them to listen, to get involved and to then take the next step. And then Laura, do you have any other things to share with folks who might, um, be interested in taking action?
2: Yeah, Hannah, just one last thing. Um, if you all out there want to host your own socially distanced letter writing parties or backyard letter writing barbecue parties, please reach out to Hannah or myself. Um, Our emails will be linked in with this podcast, and we'd be happy to send you postcards, stamps, envelopes, and any other materials or resources that you will need to make your letters to decision makers happen. Um, Or also, if you want to run your LTEs by either of us, um, feel free to email them as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We here at ICL are, um, have so many resources to offer to folks who are interested in, in getting involved and taking action. And Laura and I are always happy to help brainstorm or workshop your letters to the editor, your letters to decision makers, or help you practice what you're going to say on the phone if you call them. So we are, um, available and really excited about helping you all take action. And please, make sure that you're signed up for Idaho Conservation League's emails and keep checking back on our website for future opportunities to be involved, to attend events, to um, to take other creative actions in the future. So again, thank you so much to Mitch and Laura for joining us on the Wild Idaho podcast today. Uh, I hope this is one of many podcast episodes where we can dive into um, this critical issue And with that, we are going to um, sign off and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Hannah.